Good morning, Hope in Christ. How you guys doing? We are blessed, aren't we? Amen. I invite you to take out your listening guide from inside of your bulletin. Hopefully you got one of these as you came in this morning. If you didn't get one of these and you need one, if you'll raise your hand, we'll get one to you. Does anybody need a bulletin? Right over here. Miss Brenda needs one. Miss Ryan needs one. Various people needs them. Take out your listening guide. Um, we're going to be looking at some uh, serious, serious teachings this morning. Teachings that come to us from the Word of God. We're still in our message, refocusing your life, refocusing your life. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about refocusing our view of sin, refocusing the problem of sin. As we just saw in the video, uh, sin has consequences, not just in general. Every single sin has attached to it consequences, some immediate, some delayed, some long-term, but all sin has consequences. All sin has consequences. Boy, the world's in a mess, isn't it? Is that anything new? Is anybody shocked? Is anybody surprised? I mean... If you're a born-again believer that has spent any amount of time in the book, since Genesis chapter 3, we've been in a mess. And we're going to stay in a mess until the Lord calls us home. Until this book is fulfilled and completed, it's going to be a mess. But in the meantime, we've got a job to do. We are a city set on a hill. We are a light. We are the light of the world, and we have to be shining our lights bright in a dark, dark, messy world. And, and as Christians, we don't need to be part of the problem. We need to be shining lights of the solution, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that's going to fix it, folks. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's us living out our faith. It's us being faithful to the Word of God and us sharing the gospel with other people. Now, folks are protesting and folks are looting and some folks are doing violent protests. Some folks are doing peaceful protests and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people are making lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of noise. You say, well, see, that was annoying. So is everything going on in the world. Worldly action will never cure the problem that we have on planet Earth. The only solution to what's going on on planet Earth today is a heavenly solution. His name is Jesus. If you want to make a difference in the world, live your life as God has called you to live it, as shine the light, introduce every person you come into contact with, share with every person 
the love of God. Share with every person the gospel. Share with them how much God loves them and wants to save them and redeem them and give them eternal life. If we could get this planet saved, if we could get the people that's on planet Earth today saved, that'll make a true difference. Here and for all of eternity. The rest of it's a waste of time. The rest of it is a waste of time. Oh, we need new laws. We need new laws to protect people. There's enough laws on the book to protect the ants in the ground today. Laws are wonderful. Laws are good. But laws are broken. It's not a lawless problem. It's a Christless problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart issue. And then, you, you, listen, you say, well, I want to change everybody's mind. You're not going to change. You can't even change your own mind, let alone anybody else's. We talked about that in a recent message, didn't we? Refocusing how you think. When you change how you think, you change your attitude, you change your life. We're not going to change anybody's mind about anything. What we need to do is share with them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and allow God to redeem and change their hearts. That'll make a difference. That'll make a difference. Well, that was free of charge. That didn't cost you anything this morning. Lots of problems. Lots of problems. But if we were to take just a moment this morning and allow me to ask you this question. You be honest. Don't don't say it out loud. Don't raise your hand. Just in your own mind, in your own heart, I want you to answer this question for yourself. What is the biggest problem you are facing right now? Think on that for just a moment. What, what's the biggest problem you yourself as an individual, what's the biggest problem you're facing in life right now? I'm sure each and every one of us could write a big, long list of problems that we're facing, couldn't we? But the truth of the matter is this. You are your biggest problem. And I am my biggest problem. And the amens bounced off the wall. No, seriously. Seriously, I, me, we cause the greatest amount of pain and discomfort and confusion in our life. We do that to ourselves. We love to blame everybody else. Oh, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my community's fault. It's the mayor's fault, it's the governor's fault, it's the president's fault, it's this fault, it's that fault. No, no, no. It's your fault. And it's my fault. I am my biggest problem. I got 53-year track record. I can spit out facts all day long. And you do too. And you do too. Until we come to grips with this, we're never going to make any progress in our spiritual journey. Most of the problems you're facing in life right now is caused by the way you think. 
caused by the way you think. We lie to ourselves all the time. We do. How many has ever told yourself, hey, it really isn't as bad as it is when it was even worse? Anybody? And how many of us have ever told ourselves, it really ain't that bad. It's really not that bad. When it really was really, really, really bad. We lie to ourselves all the time, don't we? And what about our feelings? What about our feelings? I, I hope you have figured out by now in life that not everything you feel is the truth. There's times we can trust our feelings, and there's lots of times we cannot trust our feelings. And so when you act on thoughts and you act on feelings that aren't correct, then that's going to result in behavior that's not correct according to the Word of God, and that's going to cause all kinds of messes and problems in your life. For instance, when you know what's right, you know what's right. Do you ever do the opposite of what you know is right? Yeah. And likewise, when you know something is wrong and it's not good for you, do you still do it? We're guilty, aren't we? Today we're going to talk about refocusing the problem of sin. Refocusing the problem of sin. This wrong thinking, this wrong behavior, this knowing to do good and not doing it, the Bible says that is sin. That is sin. That's our sin nature. And, and we inherited that sin nature from Adam and Eve. And not a person that has ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ possesses this sin nature. So I don't want to talk to you about this morning is refocusing our thoughts about sin. And to begin with, I'm convinced that most people today, especially in today's culture, truly don't understand that word sin and the consequences of sin. So what I hope to do is as we follow along in our listening guides, I hope to accomplish at least three things with this message today. First, we're going to let the Bible, we're going to let the Bible tell us what sin is. I'm not going to tell you what I think sin is, and, and, and as much as you care less what I think about sin, I could care less what you think about sin or what your definition of sin is. Here, here's what's important. What does the Bible say sin is? What does the Bible say? have to say about sin. We're going to let the Word of God define what sin is, and then we're going to talk about all these problems that sin causes. And then we're going to finish up by looking at some solutions. Boy, I love solutions, don't you? Let's start by defining sin. Now, I've said this before, but let me repeat it today. Did you know that God is far more interested in your thoughts and feelings and words than he is in your behavior. Here's the problem. A lot of Christians have entered into this behavior rehabilitation program. And that's not what salvation is about. 
See, if you go after the behavior without focusing upon your thinking and your feelings and your attitude, your behavior will never change. But if we can get our thinking to line up with the Word of God, if we begin to exercise what's within us, that is the mind of Christ, when, when our thinking aligns with the Word of God in the thoughts of Christ, then our thinking changes and our thinking changes our attitudes and our attitudes chooses, uh, changes our actions. Can I get an amen? In fact, the Bible has a whole lot more to say about the sins of the tongue than any other part of the body. Number one, what is sin? What is sin? Sin is the opposite of God and good. Sin is in direct opposition to God and the good. Practically speaking, sin is the exact opposite of God. Sin is the exact opposite of good. In other words, sin is bad. God is good. Sin is bad. As a matter of fact, God is good. All the time, God is good. Amen? God is never bad. And sin is the opposite of what God is. In Psalm 111, verse 7, everything, say everything, everything God does is good. Everything God does is good and fair. All His commands can be trusted. Psalm 145, in verse 9, says, The Lord is good to who? Everyone. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all His creation. So God is good all the time. God is good to everybody. God is good to everyone. Question. Are you good to everybody? Are you good? To, oh, I know you've got your reasons, and I know you've got your excuses. We're asking God, we're looking to the letter, the book that God wrote us, and we're asking God, God, what is sin? And God is telling us, sin is good. I mean, no. Whoa, time out. God is good. Sin, just make sure you're listening, sin is bad. Brianna, I'll expect you to edit that, sister. Before we upload that. Why why aren't we good to everyone? Because of sin. Well, she doesn't deserve to be treated good. He doesn't deserve to be treated good. God is good to everyone. Sin is the opposite of God and the opposite of good. Why don't we treat everybody good because we're not God?
I don't show compassion to everyone, but God shows compassion to everyone. God is the opposite of sin. 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 4 says, Everything God created is good. Do you believe that this morning? Everything God created is good. In fact, if you study the book of Genesis, when God created it all, He just took a step back and said, This is good. This is good. What we infamously do is we take the good that God created and we do bad things with it and bad things to it. It's not that God created bad things. God created all things good. It's what we do with them that makes them bad. We misuse it, we abuse it, and then we lose it. This is true of all kinds of stuff that God has made. Money. Well, now I got your attention, don't I? Money. Is money bad? A lot of folks will misquote the Bible a lot of times and say, hey, the Bible says money's the root of all evil. Read it again. The love of money is the root of all sin. Money's good. Money is what causes world evangelism to take place. Money, it takes money to print Bibles in foreign languages. It, it costs money to go out and do the good news. Money's not bad. Food. Well, I can talk about food. Food is good. Too much food is bad. Even the wrong kinds of food is bad. But food ain't bad, is it? What about sex? Sex is good with your spouse within the confines of marriage. Sex is not bad. Quit telling your kids sex is bad. Teach them the truth about sex. Teach them that sex outside of marriage is bad, but sex is good. Sin is always a perversion of God's good gifts. I don't know if you noticed or not, I'm taking my time this morning. I'm telling you, we're, 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 we got this on slow simmer. We ain't going to boil it. We ain't going to heat it up too quick and scorch it. We're going to take our time talking about sin because we've got a terrible sin problem right here at Hope in Christ Fellowship. Don't look around. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. We all have a problem with sin. Can I get an amen? And, and we need to come to grips with it. We need, in 2020, we need to refocus. We, we need to quit trying to fix all the world and let's fix me. I need to spend time on my face before God in the Word of God, praying to God, woe is me. Woe is me. 
I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed. I'm saved. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I have eternal life, but I'm still a mess. And I need to be working on me because I have a sin problem. I heard a preacher say one time, when, when I pastored the first church down at French Chapel, uh, we went into a building program and built a new uh, auditorium, two-story building with a full basement under it, seated about 300 people. It cost a lot of money, but it only costed us half the money because we was within driving distance of Rushy Mountain State Penitentiary and they had a work program. And prisoners who were close to being released, uh, they taught them how to do things in life so that when they was released, they could go out and earn a living. It was a wonderful, wonderful program. They come and did 100% of the labor on that building for us. One of them had been called to preach. And he, he had proven himself and behaved himself and they would let him go out and preach on Sundays. Two, guard, two armed guards would bring him to the church and, and, and he would preach for folks. And I had him come preach for us. It's the first time I ever heard this said. I've heard it a million times since. But it's the first time I ever heard this said. And here's, he was preaching on sin. Now who better can preach on sin than a man that's been locked up for 30 years at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary? He knows what got him there. He knows what kept him there. And he knew what would send him back if he didn't go straight when he got out of there. And here's what he said about sin. Sin, sin will take you farther than you want to go. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. That's sin. That's sin. Job 34.10 it is impossible for God to do anything evil. He cannot sin. He cannot do wrong. Now, I've said this to you thousands of times. God's plan for your life and God's plan for my life as His children is God wants us to grow up and be just like Jesus. God wants us to be just like He is, like Father like son, like father, like daughter. God's plan for your life is that we, little by little and in increments as we grow spiritually, that we become less like our sinful selves and we become more like Jesus Christ, more like the Father. So not only is sin the opposite of God and sin is the opposite of good, sin is the opposite of love. Sin is the opposite of love. Listen to me. Sin is never loving. Sin is always unloving. Sin never equates love. So Jesus is out and about doing what Jesus, is, what Jesus did when he was here on planet Earth. And, and you know this story. We talk about it a lot. It's our mission statement. A Pharisee came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? What is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus responded, love the Lord your God. Love, key word, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now the two key words there is love and all. Give God all your love. 
And then he said the second is likened to it. In other words, it's a second commandment, but it's equally important. Really, there's just one commandment wrapped up, divided into two. He said, and the second is this. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And we've talked about this too. Uh, at another time, someone asked Jesus the question, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, paraphrasing, Jesus said, every human being that's living and breathing is your neighbor. Love them. Love them. Sin is the opposite of love. Life is all about love. Life is all about love. And since love is at the heart of God's two most crucial, critical, important commandments, then sin must be the opposite of those two commandments. Is it a sin not to love God with all your heart? Is it a sin not to love any person included in humanity? Sin is the opposite of love. Not loving God and not loving your neighbor. As a Christian, does that make any sense? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. There, there is no opposition to love that can be justified with any human excuse. Now listen closely. Over 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking on planet Earth, he said this. In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus says, As sin and evil increases, get this, as sin and evil increases, People's love will grow cold. Sin is the opposite of love. Are we seeing that today? Is sin and evil increasing in the world? And would you say that people are less loving than they were in years past? Are people more rude? Are people more critical? Are people less civil? Please don't be in that number. Please don't be in that number. Sin is the opposite of love. Number three. Number three. Sin is always selfish. Sin is always selfishness. Although we may tell ourselves, I'm, I'm doing this for the benefit of others, a whole lot of what we do in life is for... Sin is always selfishness. James chapter 3, verse 16 says, Wherever there is selfishness, you find disorder... In every kind of evil sin. Sin is always selfish. Sin is always selfish. Listen closely. God did not create you and me and put us on planet earth to serve ourselves and to be selfish. God put us on planet earth to love us and to receive love back from us in return and so that he could observe us loving one another. But sin is always selfish. Sin is always selfish. At the root of every sin 
is a self-centered selfishness. God didn't create us to live for ourselves. He created us to live for Him and to live for others. We were made by God and we were made for God. And until you understand that, and until you practice that, life will never make any sense whatsoever. I was made by God and I was made for God. And when I believe that and when I know that and when I practice that, then life just comes together because it's not about me. It's about Him. God says, I want you to center your life around me. God says, I want you to center your life around me. I'm your creator. I'm your God. I'm your heavenly Father. Sin is selfishness and sin is self-centeredness. I've mentioned this. I have mentioned this many, 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 many times. Let me ask you a question. What is at the center of sin? What is the middle letter in the word sin? Huh? It is, isn't it? Why? Because sin is selfishness. And this is a perfect visual illustration of what all sin is all about. Sin is an eye problem. And guess what? We all have eye problems because we all have sin problems. I want it my way. I want it when I want it. I want it how I want it. I, I, I. And the I problem that all of us admittedly have causes 99.9% of all the problems in your life and in my life. The fact is that the root of all sin is selfishness and self-centeredness. Have you ever noticed all of the words in the English vocabulary that have an I right in the center of it? Can I share a few with you? Scratch these down in your listening guide and prove me wrong. Chauvinists. Chauvinists. I right in the middle. Crime. Criticize. Deceitful. Defiant, devious, envious, furious, gossiping. Sorry, that slipped out loudly. Hastiness, lying, neglect, pride, racist, sexist, suspicion, thief, one of my favorites, wine. Remember I said a few weeks ago, the Christians are called to shine, not wine. Boy, we got some professional whiners, don't we? You know what the center letter in the word wine is? 
W-H-I-N-E. That's an eye problem, isn't it? So what kind of life can you hope for when you live an eye-centered life? What, what, what would you expect the results of living the eye-centered life to be? Well, guess what? Not only are these words I shared with you, not only do those words have an eye right in the middle, the consequences of that lifestyle also have an eye right smack dab in the middle of it. Can I share a few of them with you? Anxiety. Right in the center of the word anxiety is I. Emptiness. It's an eye problem. Fatigue. Guilt. Hostility. Panicky. Pessimism. Phoniness. Right in the middle of each of those words is the letter I. We're all made by God, and we're all made for God. And until we understand that, life will continue to be chaotic. We were not put on this planet to live an I-centered life. We have been called out to live a Christ-centered life. And when we live the I-centered life, just know, just know, Write it down. I'll sign it today and date it for you. When you live an I-centered life, your life is going to be full of anxiety and emptiness and fatigue and phoniness and all those other I problems. See, I told you, you're your biggest problem. And I told myself the same thing when I looked in the mirror this morning, shaving this bald head. Steve Looper, you are the problem. I don't blame you. I don't blame my mother. I don't blame my wife. I don't blame my children. I don't blame my grandchildren. I don't blame anybody else. When I look in the mirror, I know what the problem is. My problem is me. Can you say that today? Now, beyond saying it, can you live it? Here's the fourth definition. Here's the fourth definition. Sin is always, at the root of sin, sin is always based upon unbelief in God. Hold on, preacher. Now, wait a minute. Are you telling me I don't believe in God? I'm not saying you don't believe in God. I'm just saying you don't believe everything God has said about himself. The root of sin is always unbelief in who God is. At the foundation of every sin, in the very moment of committing sin, we're declaring to God, God, I don't trust you. And then we sin. And then we sin. We're doubting something about God. We're doubting His love. We're doubting His compassion. We're doubting His wisdom. We're doubting His plan. We're doubting God when we sin. Unbelief is behind every sin we commit. 
unbelief is the root of all sin. It's a simple lack of faith. When we enter into a sin, here's what we're telling God. God, I don't trust you in this, so I'm going to take matters in my own hands, and I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. And that's sin. In John chapter 16 in verse 9, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and the three purposes that the Holy Spirit was sent to earth to accomplish. And in verse 9, Jesus says this, the Holy Spirit will show that the world's sin is what? See, I'm not making this stuff up. Now, I'm a lot of things, and I'm not a lot of things. But one thing I am is I preach the Word of God. I'm not up here telling you what I think. I'm not up here telling you what I believe. I'm up here telling you what the book says. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will show you that the world's sin is unbelief in me. That's the root of all sin. Unbelief is the world's biggest, most serious sin there is. Unbelief. Whenever I sin, whenever I sin, whenever you sin, it's revealing, it's revealing that I'm doubting something about God in that moment that I choose to sin. Can I say that again? Every time I sin... It reveals what I'm doubting. It reveals my unbelief, my lack of trust, my lack of faith in God in that moment. Let me give you some examples. Anytime I become fearful or anxious, I'm showing my unbelief in God's promise. Anytime, say anytime, anytime, anytime. Anytime I'm fearful or anxious, I'm showing my unbelief in God's promises. I told you several weeks ago that this book contains over 7,000 promises. Say 7,000. That's a bunch. I promise you, when fear and anxiety come your way, your defense is the promises of God. Every time, every time, fear and anxiety cannot cross the bloodline. Fear and anxiety cannot cross the promises of God. These are powerful. These are the most powerful words on the planet and they can defeat all sin in your life. Now that's just one example. That's just one example. What about when I'm impatient? What about anybody anybody struggle with patience? Anytime I'm impatient, what am I doubting? God's perfect timing. We sing the song around here, and y'all get all tore up about it. 
I see hands raised. I see people stand to their feet. I, I hear amen and hallelujah. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And then you go get in your car, and you go down to the restaurant, and you have to wait in line, and you pitch a hissy fit and show yourself. But he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. I think that's phoniness. I think that's phoniness. The old preacher used to say, it ain't how high you jump, how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Oh, you can come in here and put on a show. Anybody can put on a show. A lost man can come in here and put on a show. A lost lady can come in here and put a show. I'm telling you, the proof is how you're living life behind closed doors when nobody else is looking but you and God. How you love and treat your family, how you love and treat your neighbors, how you love and treat perfect strangers, that's who you are. This shouldn't even be allowed to count. When I'm impatient, I'm doubting God's perfect timing. Listen to me. Write this down. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for my life. And God's plan for my life is going to come about if I yield myself to Him and trust in His perfect timing. We say, well, looks like I'm never going to get married. Well, it looks like I'm never going to get pregnant. Well, it looks like I'm never going to get that promotion. I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to get that. I don't like what's happening here. I'm impatient, so I'm going to take matters in my own hand, and I'm going to, make, I'm going to work them out. How's that, how's that working out in the Middle East today? Huh? God told Sarah, you're going to have a son. She laughed at him. Abraham comes from home from work, and Sarah says, hey, Abraham, you ever seen Hagar? Want her to have a baby? We'll fulfill God's promise for our life. You ever heard the word Arab? I'm not being racist here. I'm just saying all of that war in the Middle East is a result of Abraham and Sarah's impatience. They didn't wait for God. So the mistress got pregnant and gave birth to Ishmael, the father of the Arab nation. And they've been at constant war with God's chosen people, the Jews, ever since. And it's easy to point a finger and say, that's Sarah. Oh, my God. What about you? Impatient. What about when we get resentful or bitter? What what am I doing when I'm exhibiting traits of being resentful or bitter? I'm showing my unbelief in God's wisdom. This is happening in my life right now. Apparently, it's part of God's plan for my life. Wait a minute. She, She got the promotion and I didn't. He got married and I didn't. She got pregnant and I didn't. 
I don't like my plan. I want your plan. I don't like my life. I want your life. God, you messed up. So God, since you can't control and you can't bless my life the way I think I ought to be blessed and treated, God, I'm going to take matters in my own hand and do my own blessing. When I'm resentful and bitter, I'm doubting God's wisdom. And I'm doubting that God can bring good out of bad. God's really good at bringing good out of bad. You ever notice that? But if there was never no bad, how much would you appreciate good? It's all caused by unbelief. What about carrying guilt? What about carrying guilt? A lot of people carry a lot of guilt around every day. When I'm carrying guilt, I'm showing my unbelief in God's forgiveness. Now, God has told us that when he saved us, that he took every sin that we ever had committed, those we were currently committing, and every sin we could ever possibly commit in the future. And he placed them on the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus was dying on the cross of Calvary. And the blood of Jesus Christ washes those sins away. The Bible says God cast them as far as the east is from the west. So how long should a Christian feel guilty? About six seconds. Why six seconds? What time me? God, I'm real sorry that I committed that sin. I know it's wrong. Would you please forgive me? About six seconds. Now, if you're going to say that, you've got to mean it. You, you can't just go around sinning all you want and flippantly say, oh, God, I'm sorry again. Uh-oh. Carrying guilt. God doesn't want us carrying guilt. What about when we feel inadequate? When we feel inadequate, our unbelief in God's power is being demonstrated. Is God all-powerful? Are you His child? then when should you ever feel inadequate? I think, I think Philippians says something like this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that a promise? See, when this sin creeps into your life, you battle it with the promises of God. God has already said, when you're weak, I'm strong. God says, my kids can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. This is all about unbelief. And, 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 and I know some are sitting there and some are watching live today. They're saying, yeah, but is sin really that big a deal? Well, I'm going to let you decide for yourself. Because I can't change your mind. And only God can change your heart. I'm telling you, the book says sin is a really, really big problem. Now, I'm going to give you six consequences of sin, and then we're going to talk about the solution, okay? The first problem with sin was this. We were all born with a selfish desire to sin. I, let's say it that way, I was born with a selfish desire to to sin. The Bible calls that my sin nature. The Bible calls that my sin nature. 
If you've ever been a parent, you understand this. Because you have little sinners running around your feet all day long. You say, how dare you call my child a sinner? You've called it worse. So let's just see where the fault lies here. How many of y'all taught your kids how to lie? How many taught your kids to be selfish and want everything their way? How, how many taught your kids to be little sinners? Well, they come out that way. That's all part of the sin package. That's part of the sin package. It's, it's the sin nature. We're born wanting what we want when we want it. When Boone wants a bottle, Boone wants a bottle. And he wants it now. He's a fairly patient kid. He really is. But there's a line you cross. If you don't put a bottle in his mouth, he pitches a fit. Now, why did y'all teach him to be like that? That's all I want to know. Why, why, why? We don't teach our kids to be sinful. Our kids are sinful. Why? They were born sinful, just like you. Just like you. Vivi agrees. I heard that growl over there. Was that not Vivi? That's Boone. I'm getting off you, Boone. Let's move on, brother. Sorry about that. He said, move on, pa. Now, this, this, the, classic pa- the classic passage of Scripture that deals with this sin nature is found in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul, Michelle was talking about him as we open the service today. Very possibly the greatest born-again believer that's ever walked the planet. Possibly. I'm not saying he is, but in my eyes, he ranks in the top one. Listen what Paul... These are Paul's words. Listen what Paul said. Paul says, I feel that I'm a slave to my sinful desires. Now, listen. This is Paul, not Saul. This is the born-again believer. This is the guy that's writing most of the New Testament. He's saved. He's sanctified. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's walking close with the Lord. But even with all that, he says, I feel that I'm a slave to my sinful desire. This is what he says. Sin masters me. I I don't even understand the things that I do. He's talking about those sinful things. I don't even understand this sinful behavior of mine. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the wrong things that I don't want to do. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? I can't help myself because of my sinful nature inside me. It's a law. I don't want to circle that. It's a law at work in me and is at war with what? Yes. It's at war with my mind. He didn't say it's at war with my body, my fingers, my toes, my mouth, my eyes. What did he say? It's at war with my mind. He says the problem is I was born 
I was born with this tendency to make the wrong choices. And each of us could give examples of that. You mean pass the microphone around? Here's the second problem with sin. Sin interrupts my fellowship with God. Sin interrupts my fellowship with God, just like it does with every other relationship. What is sin? Sin is a relational issue. Have you ever thought about it like that? Sin is a relational issue with God. Sin is a relational issue with other people. When I sin against others, it interrupts my relationship with others. Yes or no? Sin is a relational issue. The same is true with God. When we sin, it interrupts our fellowship, our relationship with Almighty God. That's why when you pray, you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. They are. They are. It's why you say, I just don't feel God in my life anymore. I guess God moved. I guess God closed the windows of heaven. No, maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life, and it's interrupted your relationship with God. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 59.2. Your sins are the roadblock between you and your God. That's why he doesn't answer your prayers or let you see his face. So why can't you sense God's presence in your life? Unrepentant sin. Unconfessed sin. Sin that you're refusing to deal with. Sin that you enjoy... and you enjoy the sin more than you enjoy the fellowship of God, so you continue in the sin. Sin is a relational problem. So what do I need to do? You need to acknowledge the problem and deal with it. You need to wage war on the sin in your life. Quit waging war with people and wage war on the sin in your own life. I promise you, you'll stay so busy, you'll leave everybody else alone. I promise. You repent. You change the way you think about sin. Is sin fun? Yes. The Bible says it is. There's pleasure in sin. Anybody want to finish that up? Yeah, for a season, for a time. Sin is pleasurable for a time. But what's the end result? Death. Death. Do you enjoy your sin so much that you're willing to die for it? Number three, here's the third problem. This is serious. Every time I sin, something dies within me. Every time I sin, something dies inside me. Adam and Eve, I don't think Adam and Eve was fully aware of what happened when they ate the forbidden fruit. Now, you know, God, God said it simply like this. If you do it, you're going to die. And they took a bite, and she took a bite, and he took a bite, and it's like, we're still here. What they didn't realize was the spirit man inside them died on the spot instantly. 
at that moment, they had doomed their souls to eternal punishment in a place called hell. And they didn't even realize it. At that moment, their flesh took on mortality. At that moment, for the first time ever since their creation, they began to age. You know, do you know how many billions of dollars are spent in the United States of America every year on anti-aging? It takes a, I'm not pointing this at no single person. I'm just saying, it takes a fool to spend money trying not to age. Let that sink in. You're aging. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I am too. It's the curse of sin. It's the law of sin. It's the law of sin. Every time I sin, something inside me dies. The Bible tells us that sin is the silent killer. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin and death are synonymous, aren't they? If you do one, the other's going to happen. We're all going to die because we've all sinned. We've all, and we all live in a broken world filled with sin. Sin and death go together because sin is a killer. Would you write this down in your listening guide? Sin is self-destructive. Write that down. Sin is self-destructive, comma, evil, comma, and sin hurts me worse than it hurts anybody else. Sin hurts me more than it hurts anybody else. You know, we're, t- we're talking about the, the English language, and we're talking about the I in the middle of sin, and I in the middle of all those negative words, and I in the middle of all those consequences of sin. Have you ever noticed that the word live, L-I-V-E, spell that backwards for me. Coincidence? The opposite of live is evil, and the opposite of evil is live. Every time I do evil, I'm not living. I'm dying. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what James says in James chapter 1, verse 15. Our desires make us sin. Where's the blame game in that? Error. My desires make me sin. And when sin is finished with us, it leaves us dead. We're not talking about physical death. We're not just talking about physical death. Lots of, ta- lots of things die in our lives as a result of sin. When I sin, my passion for God dies. I'm a pastor. And I look around the room and I see empty seats. And I see faces missing. And a lot of times it's not because people are sick. It's because people value other things more than they value 
corporate worship. And that's sin. And that's sin. The Bible says, do not forsake assembling yourself together. Don't, the Bible says don't do that. Yet there's pleasure in sin for a season. And you say, well, where, where's all my passion for God gone? Well, it, you left it at the doorway of sin. Repent and go back and pick it up. My dreams of being closer to the Lord dies because of sin. My relationships die when I sin. Sin kills your potential. A lot of people wandering around saying, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know who I am anymore. Who am I? Who am I supposed to be? Well, you were created by God and you was created for God. And until you realize that, life is going to be a chaotic mess. Why? Because our minds become clouded by sin. Where does all that confusion come from? It doesn't come from God. God said He's not the author of confusion. Sin causes things to die within me. Let me just quickly give you these and let's move on. Here is what we'll call the A to Z consequences of sin. You ready? Scratch these down if you you can keep up. Here are the consequences of sin using the alphabet. A, sin causes addiction, anxiety, alienation. B, sin causes broken hearts, broken relationships, broken... C, sin causes compulsive thoughts and compulsive behaviors. D, sin causes debt. God gives me money and I misuse it. I get in debt. Sin causes disease, damaged reputations, and death. E, sin causes eternal separation from God. F, sin causes fear. The more sin I have in my life, the more fear I'll have in my life. Elf, failure, fear. G, sin causes guilt. H, sin causes injustice in the world. That's an I word. L, loss, loss of reputation, loss of rewards in heaven. M, sin causes missed opportunities, missed blessings. N, the Bible says sin causes national decline and destruction. So many, many, many examples throughout the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament, about nations crumbling and nations declining because they choose the pathway of sin and not the pathway of God. O, sin causes oppression. P, sin causes pollution. R, relational conflicts. Racism. S, sin causes stress and suffering. Why do people think sin is such a good idea? Number four, my sin may be a secret to me, but my sin is never private. Sin may be a secret, but it's never private. 
My sin always affects other people even when other people don't know about it. The reason sin is never private is because the Word of God says in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Things done in the dark will be brought to light. That's God's promise. The Bible says in Romans 14, 7, none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. You've heard people say, hey, mind your business. You're a child of God, it is my business. And because we're children of God, my sin is your business. And you have the right to interrupt my life anytime and call my attention to my sin. Now, I'm not talking about being judgmental. I'm not talking about lording over people. I'm just saying if you see me tripping and stumbling and about to fall, would you please call my attention to it so that I don't fall? That would be love for your brother, would it not? That'd be loving me. Number five, sin does long-term damage. Sin does long-term damage. I'm sure, again, like Adam and Eve in the garden, no, I don't see any damage. I don't see anything going on right now, so I guess no harm done. Let's just continue to play. Sin is a seed. Sin is a seed. You plant it in the ground, and it sprouts, and it continues to grow and it brings forth terrible, terrible, terrible fruit. And it grows, and it becomes noticeable. It's the law of the harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Don't deceive yourself. You cannot make a fool out of God. Whatever you plant is what you will harvest. Again, what do we do to deal with sin? We repent. We repent. What is repentance? It's a simple changing of the mind. Changing of the mind. Number six. Disobeying God. What's a good word for disobeying God? Disobeying God is neither fun nor funny. Now, I've talked about the fun part. Let's talk about the funny part. Today's culture has fallen headlong for one of Satan's biggest tricks. Satan knows that if he can cause us to laugh at sin, it lowers our resistance to it. I had a pastor teach us one time, whatever Satan can get you to laugh at, you'll never take serious again. Think about it. Whatever Satan can get you to laugh at, you'll never take serious again. Sin is not funny. Why do you think the sitcoms, why do you think the late-night comedy shows, why do you think the movies are full of sin? Because Satan is directing all of those shows and all of those. Hey, you, you may see a different name scroll on the screen when the credits are rolling, but number one, producer and director of all of that filth, Satan. Satan. 
And the sad thing is, we pay to watch it. We pay to watch it. And not only do we pay for it, but we actually watch it. And not only do we watch it, we laugh at it. We laugh at it. And sin's not funny. Sin is not funny. Sin is not a laughing matter. Sin is tragic. Sin is horrible. Proverbs 10, 2, the wisdom book of God's Word says, a fool's fun is in being bad. On TV, the bad people are the cool people. The bad people are the ones having all the fun. The bad people are the sexy people. The bad people are the famous people. Am I telling you right or am I telling you right? The Bible says that's foolish. Proverbs 10.2 Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Let that sink in. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. What's that saying about Christians who pay to watch sin? Says we're foolish, doesn't it? Question. Honest question. Honest answer. Do you enjoy watching people sin? The right answer is no, but honest answer. Do you enjoy watching people sin? The Bible says if you do, you're a fool. Because that kind of stuff destroys people and destroys life. The Bible says that's foolish. Do you enjoy watching TV shows or movies or sitcoms where people are committing adultery? Have you ever watched adultery on TV? Let me see your hand. Have you ever seen adultery on TV? Okay, I'm your pastor. Let's say Michelle and I go out and eat this afternoon. I meet this unwed couple at a restaurant, and we invite them over to her house. We say, hey, come on in and have a seat. Oh, by the way, go ahead and commit, go ahead and commit fornication while we sit here and watch. What's the difference? What's the difference between a screen and a couch? What's the difference? What's the difference? There is no difference. There is no difference. That's a sexual sin. That's a sexual sin, and I'm watching. Sin's not funny. Sin's not funny. And Christians ought not to be paying to watch sin of any kind, ever. Sin is not funny. 
Bible says I'm a fool to fill my mind with their thoughts, with those thoughts. The fool takes pleasure in watching sin. Pastor Steve, why are you preaching so harshly to us this morning? There's one reason. Because I love you. Because I love you. Hope in Christ Fellowship is a city set on a hill to shine its light brightly. This building's not the city. We, corporately and individually, are the city. And if we don't shine the light, who's going to? Does anybody in this room believe in hell? Does anybody still believe in hell? Do you believe that people are dying daily and going to hell without Christ? Are we helping them go there? By living just like they live and enjoying sin like they enjoy sin? Or are we living differently trying to persuade them to turn their hearts and lives over to God? Four things. Here's the solution. Yes, this has been a very sombering message. Yes, this has been a harsh message. This has been the truth. Can I get an amen? This has been the truth. The first step in breaking free from sin is understand what Jesus did for me. Understand what Jesus did for me. When Jesus was hanging on the cross of Calvary, not only did he pay for the penalty of our sins, but he paid the price that we could break free from sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Do you understand that this morning? Nothing or no one can make you sin. You sin when the sin is appealing enough that it captures your mind and your thoughts and persuades you that the pleasure is worth the penalty. To break free from that, we've got to change the way we think. We've got to think with the mind of Christ. We've got to understand what Jesus did for me. He destroyed Satan's power in your life when it comes to the subject of sin. Sin has no power over you other than the power you empower it to have. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you possess the power to say no to sin. You, have, you possess the power to say no to every sin that you didn't have before you come to know Jesus Christ. And it's more than willpower. It's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Peter 2.24 Jesus personally carried our sins in His own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. 
2 Corinthians 13, 4. Although Jesus died on the cross in weakness, he now lives by the mighty power of God, and we too are weak. We're made strong in Christ today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, 6 and 8. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ on the cross so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Would you say that with me? We are no longer slaves to sin. One more time. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when Christ died, for when we died with Christ, we were set free. Say set free. We were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we shall share in His new life. Number two, acknowledge our new nature. Understand what Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary and acknowledge your new nature. Walk and live and breathe in our new nature. The Bible says if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you are now controlled by your new nature, except when you interrupt that and you take over with the old sinful nature, with your old way of thinking. Number three, repent. Say repent. What does repent mean? Change the way I think about sin. I thank God for our congregation. I thank God for our fellowship. I, I thank God for everybody that serves here. We've got wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people that serve in so many different ministries. One of the ministries I'm thankful for is we have a safety team. This room is full of cameras. The outside of this building, multiple cameras. Not to make you nervous, but just know this. A couple of weeks ago, our safety team was monitoring the cameras and somebody came out of the woods from the railroad track and went car to car to car trying to find an unlocked car to find purses or money or anything they could steal. And guess what happened? The safety team met them in the parking lot and they took off running. Aren't you thankful for the safety team? I'm, I'm thankful for them. And that's bad, but here's what's worse. We know that church shootings happen in America. We've got cameras. I mean, if you, you cannot step foot on this property on Sunday morning without somebody knowing it. The most horrible thing I could think of would be somebody coming onto our property, coming into this building with a firearm loaded, cocked and ready to kill somebody. Would, would you, anybody in the room not, would anybody in the room not consider that a serious threat? Why? Because it could result in death? Is, is death serious? Can a loaded firearm kill someone? But doesn't the Bible say the wages of sin is death? Hmm. Preacher, when you put it in that perspective, it kind of makes sin serious, doesn't it? It does. does we've got to 
change the way we think about sin. You know, tragically, there's been children in homes before where the parents didn't respect firearms and put them away, store them empty. And a child has gotten a hold of that firearm before. Maybe they watched Westerns on TV and played cops and robbers with sticks and they seen daddy had a gun. So they took the gun and started playing with the gun. Innocently, right? As a child, innocently. And tragically died. See, there was pleasure in sin for a season, but the end therein was death. The whole point of my sermon today is to change the way we think about sin. The Bible says the result of sin is death. Every time. Every time. Number four. This is the last one. We have to challenge the lie behind every temptation. If you're breathing, you're tempted. If you're breathing, you're going to face temptation. When we started this series, I said there's a lie behind every sin, and we think, well, if I do this, I'll feel better. Well, if I do this, I'll be happier. If I do these things, if I do this sin, then things will work out better for me. What we have to ask is, what lie am I believing right now that's producing this temptation? We've got to quit saying, oh, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's funny. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. We have to challenge the lie behind every temptation. We're going to ask our deacons if they'll prepare to serve communion this morning. We've not had communion since we've come back into our building. And I think it's just a perfect, perfect, perfect day to observe communion, don't you? What is communion about? Well, communion is us being obedient to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Now, before they pass out the elements, gentlemen, hold up for just a second. Let me say this. Communion is an act of worship. And I want you to seriously consider where you are in your walk with the Lord right now.
Let me just ask the whole congregation, is there any unconfessed sin in your life right now? Because I would caution you not to take communion with unrepentant sin in your life. In the book of Corinthians, people were dying because they was flippantly participating in communion. They were living lives of sin outside the building and putting on a show inside, outside the building and putting on a show inside the building and they were getting sick and dying. And Paul said, it's because of the way you're living. You're a hypocrite. And God's judgment's being shown to you and you're dying because of your sins because the wages of sin is death. Communion is a reminder. Remember that last point? The first point in the solutions was understand what Jesus did for me. As a believer, hopefully you understand that Christ died for your sins and your sins have been forgiven. But to maintain that fellowship with God, we have to confess each and every sin to maintain that fellowship. So let's pause right now before they pass out the elements. And let's do business with God. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Holy Father, you have certainly, certainly, certainly gotten our attention today through your precious, holy, inerrant, infallible word. Father, you've spoken loudly to us today the seriousness of sin. Father, you've taught us what sin is. You demonstrated the consequences of sin and, God, you've given us deliverance from sin. And Father, we all stand and sit before you in this moment guilty of sin. And those of us who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we know that all of our sins are under the blood and that we have a home in heaven. But Father, in our relationship with you, we know these individual sins interrupt our fellowship. And right now, Father, we want to pause. And invite your Holy Spirit to do inventory in our minds and in our hearts. Father, would you search us right now? Would you search every square inch of our minds and hearts and reveal any unrepentant, unconfessed sin to us right now, Father, as we pause? Father, we're sorry. We're sorry that there's unbelief in our lives. We're sorry that we're not walking in those 7,000 promises every moment of every day of our life. We're sorry that we bring shame to your name. We're sorry that our sins mock Christ on the cross. Father, forgive us. Cleanse us, make us new, make us whole, make us clean. Father, as we enter into this time of communion, as Christ has commanded us in his word, we do it in remembrance of him. We're reminded again today that, God, you love this world so much that you gave your only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. And we're thankful for that, Heavenly Father. It's in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. As they pass these elements out, if you want to participate in communion today as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, please do so. And if you don't, then please refrain from doing so. My prayer is this message today has challenged your heart as much as it's challenged my heart for the past two weeks. We can all draw closer to God, can't we? Shall you all come on if you will? We're taught in Scripture. Jesus was preparing to go to the cross of Calvary. He sent his disciples on ahead of him to prepare for this meal. And when they were there in the upper room, we're told that Jesus girded himself with a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet showing how much humbleness, how much love he had for each of them. And I think giving them a small peek of what he was going to Calvary to do, to make us clean. The Bible says that the two elements that they ate that night was bread and wine. And that the bread represented the body of Christ that would go to Calvary. And that as his body, the bread, was hanging from the cross, he would shed his blood, represented by the wine. And that through his death and burial and his resurrection, we could all be made clean and washed free of our sins and live forever in a heaven that he's gone away to prepare for us. Aren't you thankful for that today? This is just a celebration of that. It reminds us why, how, we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ today. The Bible says he took the bread and as he gave thanks, Father, we're thankful today for this small wafer that represents the body of Christ. And we're thankful for him being obedient to your plan and your will for his life as he went to Calvary and hung there on our behalf. The Bible says after he gave thanks, they ate it. Let's eat this together.
And after they ate the bread, he took the cup. And he said, the wine in this cup represents my blood that I want to shed for you. And the Bible says he gave thanks. Father, we're thankful today for this great juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary. And it's through his blood that our sins have been forgiven and washed away. And we give you eternal thanks for that. In the precious, loving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's drink together. If you love Jesus this morning, shout amen. Amen.